University Medical Center has been here for El Paso in times of crisis, in times of illness, and in times of joy. We are the highest designated hospital in El Paso, and we are ready to care for you and your family. At UMC, we care for El Paso. My phone kept going off. Some of RJ's friends call me, Roger, Roger. RJ's been shot. RJ Franco was killed outside a bar in East El Paso. The 22-year-old had been a star high school athlete. The accused shooter, a 19-year-old named Moises Galvan. None of it still makes any sense. The case against Galvan ended in a mistrial, and the suspect has yet to face a jury again. I don't think anyone should wait this long for justice, but here we are, almost five years later, without a new trial date. They could wait longer now that the judge is being investigated, accused of improperly handling the case. They even threatened to remove me as a judge. When is this going to end? A murder case, a mistrial, and misconduct allegations in the latest episode of ABC 7's Borderland Crimes, sponsored by University Medical Center of El Paso. I'm not going to start at the beginning. I'm going to start this podcast at the end with the latest startling development that happened just weeks ago as I was researching this case. On January 11th, 2022, Judge Marcos Lizarraga of the 168th District Court held an emergency hearing in the murder case of Moises Galvan. Galvan is accused of shooting and killing RJ Franco on January 29th, 2017. He went to trial in 2019, but it ended in a mistrial, and it hasn't gone back before a jury since. The lack of a retrial has been a sore spot for everyone touched by the case on both sides. And now, based on what was said inside the courtroom that day, it's unclear when or even if Galvan will be tried for murder again. Only ABC7 cameras were in the courtroom as Judge Lizarraga called for an emergency hearing with the prosecutors from the El Paso District Attorney's Office, the Defense Counsel, and Moises Galvan. Galvan was dressed in the jail's orange and white striped jumpsuit for the emergency hearing. Judge Lizarraga began to speak. I am aware that there is some frustration about the delay in the case. I want to explain some legal circumstances that came into play in this case during the holidays. Something happened on December 30th that, in my opinion, could allow Mr. Galvan's lawyers to argue that their client's rights are being violated in a way that could help Moises Galvan walk out of jail without a retrial of this case. I was served with papers by a state agency in Austin that threatens to remove me as judge of the Moises Galvan murder case. They even threatened to remove me as a judge. I'll lay out what led to a state agency investigation into Judge Lizarraga, but now I'm going to tell you about the night of the crime on a cold January night five years ago. 
On January 28, 2017, RJ Franco got ready to meet a friend for drinks. They were meeting at Barfly in East El Paso. He wasn't planning to stay out all night. The 22-year-old had a touch football game the next day, and then he was going to hang out with his mom, stepdad, and his brother and sisters. Before he went to Barfly, he got a call from his dad. Roger Franco told his son he and his wife were getting drinks. Would RJ stop by and say hi? RJ did. And that was the last time Roger saw his son alive. He told me about their final interaction. A man came in taking pictures, Polaroid pictures. So when the man came in, RJ flagged him down and the man came and he says, take a picture of us. Roger stopped talking. He choked up and tried to regain his composure. We took the picture and uh, he gave it to me and he told me, I told him, RJ, you, you took the picture and you paid for it. I go, I'd love for you to keep it. He goes, no, Dad, this is a memory of you and I forever. The Polaroid is on Roger's fridge. In it, RJ is sitting in front of his father in a dark red sweatshirt, dimples in both cheeks as he smiles widely. He had his arm around his stepmom as Roger stood behind them both, resting his hand on RJ's shoulder, neither of them knowing it was their last picture together. RJ gave his dad a hug, kissed his stepmom on the forehead, and said goodnight. Around 2 a.m. on January 29th, long after Roger had gone home and fallen asleep, he woke up to his phone ringing. Roger, Roger, you need to get to Barfly because something happened to RJ. I, uh, I woke my wife up. And uh, my phone kept going off. Some of RJ's friends called me, Roger, Roger. RJ's been shot. Roger called RJ's mom, his ex-wife, Lori Batista. It's not true. It can't be true. Um, I started calling my son. Like, redial, 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 voicemail, voicemail, and no answer. RJ's parents met at Barfly and found yellow crime scene tape cordoning off the entire shopping center where the bar was located. The parents ran to police asking for help. Officers told them two people were shot, one person was in the hospital, and one person was dead. At that point in the investigation, police didn't know which victim was RJ. So of course that leaves hope in your heart that, well, at least hope that he's okay, you know? Roger and Lori took off, each driving to several hospitals to see if he was being treated. He wasn't at any of them. They went back to the scene and waited for hours until they got the devastating news. RJ was dead. 
my heart was shattered. And still, you know, I still sort of had some kind of hope that, well, you know, is this just a dreamer? I, you know, I couldn't accept that it was a true, you know, something that just happened to us, you know, we just, it was, I mean, we were just devastated, you know, which is the worst feeling ever, you know. Roger and Lori say RJ always had a big smile, lots of friends, got along with everyone, and never gave them trouble as a kid or after high school. Their biggest question was, why did this happen? We don't know why. None of it still makes any sense. Who would want to hurt RJ? That night, El Paso police arrested 19-year-old Moises Galvan and charged him with murder and also with aggravated assault for shooting and wounding RJ's best friend, David Ortega. Police said an argument began between RJ and Galvan inside the bar and that it continued when the men left Barfly shortly after midnight. What happened next was all caught on a nearby grocery store's surveillance cameras. The store owner gave the video to local news reporters. One camera was pointed at Barfly's entrance. We see Galvan in an almost cream-colored jacket walking out of the bar alone. He looks over his shoulder at RJ, who is still wearing the dark red sweatshirt. He and his friend are also leaving the bar, but are several feet behind Galvan. All of them walk out of frame. Another surveillance camera atop the shopping center overlooking the parking lot shows us more. Galvan is walking away in one direction. But then something happens to make Galvan spin around as RJ enters the video frame. There's no audio, so it's not clear if something was said to prompt Galvan to turn. Galvan starts walking, almost trotting towards RJ, who keeps walking in the opposite direction. Galvan's hands are in his jacket pockets, and he's gesturing with them. It looks like in the movies when the robber has a gun in his pocket. And it looks like he's talking to RJ as three guys walk up behind Galvan. It's hard to see what happens next. I had to watch the black and white video multiple times. Shots are fired. You know something happened because people in the parking lot suddenly begin to run as a car speeds off. You can then see someone running from the crime scene. Police say it's Galvan. At that moment, Barfly security guards dart into the parking lot. Turns out they were deputies with the El Paso County Sheriff's Office and a deputy constable. They chased after Galvan, bringing him to the ground until police arrived and took him into custody. It was then, investigators say, Galvan admitted to shooting and killing RJ. Galvan said he did it to save his own life because RJ was attacking him. University Medical Center has been here for El Paso in times of crisis, in times of illness, and in times of joy. We are the highest designated hospital in El Paso, and we are ready to care for you and your family. At UMC, we care for El Paso. The news of RJ's sudden death 
was shocking to his family and friends. The 22-year-old had been a star football and baseball player at Mawood High School by the time he graduated in 2013. His skills on the football field earned him a spot in the Greater El Paso Football Showcase East versus West game. Very well loved by his teammates, by his coaches, by his teachers. People were just drawn to him. Hours after the shooting, friends placed candles and flowers outside Barfly at the site where RJ was gunned down. One of them spoke to an ABC7 reporter. Very, very popular guy, um, got along with everybody. Jason DePaul Donaldson was friends with Franco for about 10 years and says he was never one to pick a fight. Never been in trouble, never started anything, never been in trouble with anything like that. That's why he's in shock. The Montwood High graduate and star football player was shot and killed outside this bar in East El Paso. RJ lived his life like you wouldn't believe it and he was a fantastic guy. A few days after RJ was killed, there was a candlelight vigil and memorial at Motwood High. His parents invited reporters to attend. The memorial started with a video montage of RJ set to music. RJ is a new creation. He's whole, he's complete and he's happy, he's joyous, because he's with the Lord. RJ Franco's family celebrating the life of the 22-year-old taken from them too soon. They are determined not to be consumed by the violence that led to his death. We don't want to live with hate after what happened. We, it's, it's not going to do any good to anybody. You know, parents shouldn't have to get phone calls saying that their child got shot, much less killed. The crowd of hundreds, a mixture of relatives, friends, and complete strangers who had come to show their support. Two years of knowing him, he hit me hard. <laughs> he, he's a really good guy, really good guy. For me, just knowing him this short, he, <laughs> he impacted my life. RJ's mom and dad don't believe RJ and Galvan knew each other despite Galvan telling investigators they had met in high school and had argued and even fought in the past. Did the name ring a bell to you at all? Not to me, not to my son's friends, not to his closest friends. He never mentioned, he never mentioned him to me ever because I know it was said that they knew each other. Yeah, there was, I would say like a three or four year age difference. And they never knew each other. I even, you know, I asked some of RJ's friends, he goes, we don't, really don't know who he is. Even though they said that they attended the same school, but our jurors' friends never mentioned anything about him. His parents also don't believe the narrative of what led to the shooting. Galvan told police he shot RJ in self-defense during a fight outside Barfly, that RJ was hitting him and was telling his friends to also beat him up. Lori and Roger say nothing that happened the night of RJ's murder aligns with what they know of their son's character. The person who was with RJ, who was shot, 
Were you able to talk to him to find out what happened leading up to the shooting? He didn't know. He didn't know either. Is it that he couldn't remember or he just had no idea as to how it escalated? It just doesn't make sense as to why it escalated. I wondered, you know, who could have done this, you know? I, I, I don't, I couldn't understand why. And uh, that was, you know, that was just probably my biggest question of why, why RJ? In May of 2019, nearly two and a half years after the deadly shooting, the murder trial of Moises Galvan began. Galvan had been awaiting trial from behind bars at the El Paso County Jail, unable to make bond. In opening arguments, the defense attorney, Frank Macias, said Galvan and RJ had not gotten along since they met in 2013, and the shooting was an act of self-defense, saying, RJ picked a fight with Galvan in the bar and threw a lit cigarette in his face, and the tension escalated into the shooting. The prosecutor, Stacy Schofield, said that was not true, and the jury would be able to see that for themselves in the surveillance video. During the trial, the defense tried linking RJ to gangs, even the Barrio Azteca prison gang, showing pictures of his tattoos and of him throwing hand signs. The El Paso Police Gang Unit detectives testified that while RJ had a family member who was an Azteca, there was no record of RJ himself being in a gang. Others testified that RJ was in a party crew called the Wood Boys, but denied RJ was involved in gang activity. The allegations infuriated RJ's mom, who was in the courtroom throughout the trial. I was taken back at the lies that were told about my son to try to get away with, with murder. RJ's friend, who was also shot that night, took the stand. David Ortega testified that Galvan approached him and RJ at the bar and said, quote, you know who the I am. Are you scared of a 19-year-old? Ortega said it was RJ who tried to defuse the situation, not escalate it, and that Galvan approached them after they left Barfly. Moises Galvan took the stand in his own defense. On June 1st, 2019, Galvan was testifying for the third day. For the first two days, he described what happened in the parking lot in the seconds before the shooting, telling the jury that he feared for his life as he fought with RJ's friend David Ortega for the gun in the parking lot, and that RJ came up and tried to punch him. Galvan testified hearing RJ say, let's get him, before Galvan got control of the gun and fired repeatedly, hitting both Ortega and RJ. Before jurors could deliberate the evidence, the trial fell apart. During cross-examination, Prosecutor Stacy Schofield asked Galvan if he always carried a gun in his pocket. Defense attorney Frank Macias objected to the question. He said it was hearsay, that the question was based on what someone else had said about Galvan. 
He also said it was a leading question because she was asking a question that already contained an answer. Macias then asked the judge for a mistrial because that line of questioning created a bias in the jury against Galvan. A few days later, Judge Lizarraga granted the defense request for a mistrial and held the prosecutor in contempt of court. The trial had lasted nearly four weeks, and now it was over without any resolution. We were looking at each other and asking each other questions, and it was just, I, 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 I couldn't understand. I mean, I, I was left speechless. When it finally was declared a mistrial, it was disappointing. We hold on to our faith and know that there are bigger plans, bigger than us, and trust that God knows exactly what he's doing and why he's doing it, and we just keep trusting. Not to sit around and uh, wait to see what's going to happen now, you know, it's, you know, it's just, uh, you know, that feeling never goes away because we wonder every day, you know. You wake up every morning and that's probably the first thing I think of, you know, like, when is this going to end? The murder case of Moises Galvan was scheduled for a retrial in August 2019. It was pushed to January 28, 2020, the eve of the third anniversary of RJ's death. But it was delayed again. The court docket doesn't give any indication that the trial was reset to a new date. Then, the COVID-19 pandemic hit, and the state of Texas halted all jury trials in March of 2020. On December 30th of 2021, I learned Judge Lizarraga scheduled an emergency hearing in the Galvan case for January 11th. It was odd because the next hearing was scheduled for February. During that emergency hearing, Lizarraga said he wanted to discuss an inquiry being made by the State Commission on Judicial Conduct. Something happened on December 30th that, in my opinion, could allow Mr. Galvan's lawyers to argue that their clients' rights are being violated in a way that could help Moises Galvan walk out of jail without a retrial of this case. I was served with papers by a state agency in Austin that threatens to remove me as judge of the Moises Galvan murder case. They even threatened to remove me as a judge. Basically, I view it as a government agency in Austin that is not in the code of criminal procedure, doing things that affect issues in the Moises Galvan murder case. Judge Lee Sarraga graduated from UTEP in 1979 and got his law degree at UT in 1982. He has experience as both a prosecutor and as a defense attorney. Lizarraga has been the judge in the 168th District Court since 2011. He hasn't faced an opponent ever, including in his next election in November of this year. 
This is a clip from his latest campaign ad. I should continue to be the judge of this court because I've been a good judge. A judge needs to take into account the community expectations for justice and needs to apply that on a case-by-case -case basis on every person that comes before him. We're all human and we all make mistakes, but we need to minimize those when we are dealing with other people's lives. Judge Lizarraga is being accused of judicial misconduct and the State Commission on Judicial Conduct, or the SCJC, is moving forward with the procedure to remove him or force him to retire. The report states the commission received 21 complaints against Lizarraga the day he declared a mistrial in the Moises Galvan murder case, and it began investigating their merit. The commission also obtained and read through the official trial transcript, the more than 2,000-page document of everything that was said on the record in court. It would be two years before the commission contacted the judge to respond to the allegations. Lizarraga stalled. By December 2021, the commission produced its eight-page report. In it, the SCJC found that Judge Lizarraga showed bias against the prosecution, had an improper relationship with and bias towards the defense, improperly held a hearing in his chambers, and didn't cooperate with the commission's investigation. The report states Judge Lizarraga mistreated the two female prosecutors by scoffing at them, rolling his eyes at them, yelling and laughing at them and trying to embarrass them in front of the jury. It also states the judge appointed Frank Macias as Galvan's attorney himself, rather than going through the indigent defense plan. And Lizarga approved Macias's attorney's fees, quote, far in excess of the standard fair and reasonable fees for attorneys who represent clients who don't have the means to pay. Those fees are paid for by El Paso County taxpayers. According to the report, Lizarraga announced in the courtroom that there are different rules for the state and defense regarding evidence. He made objections for defense counsel, excluded state's evidence without an objection from the defense, prompted defense counsel how to respond to the state's objections, and held a hearing with the defense attorney in his chambers and questioned witnesses himself while denying them access to legal representation. The commission repeatedly asked Lizarga for his side of the story, but he asked for two extensions and then an in-person hearing. Commissioners didn't get much. During that hearing, the report states, quote, with a few unexplained exceptions, Judge Lizarga refused to answer the commissioner's questions concerning the substance of the complaints against him. That brings us to December 30th, right in the middle of the holidays, when the commission sent Judge Lizarraga a copy of the report and gave him 15 days to respond. The judge appointed an experienced attorney to represent him, and he submitted a detailed response to the commission. Judge Lizarraga denies each and every allegation. The next step, according to the Texas government code, is for the commission to hold a formal hearing. Judge Lizarraga said he would set the Galvan murder case for retrial. 
The docket shows the latest action in the case is a motion for the judge to consider lowering Galvan's bond from $850,000. He's been in jail for nearly five years. At the time this podcast was released, there is still no date for the Galvan murder case to be heard by a jury. I don't think um, anyone should wait this long for justice, but here we are, almost five years later, without a new trial date. RJ's mom, Lori Batista, is learning to live with that frustration, just like she's learning to live without her firstborn son. Life has been difficult. Um, he's still very much loved and missed. And after almost five years, the intensity the has lessened. Um, but the pain is still there. The absence is still there. The confusion is still there. It's hard when you lose a child. It's, it's very difficult. The son who called her Mother Hen, who watched the teen movie Pitch Perfect on loop with his younger sisters, and who went to his younger brother's baseball practices. We got an invitation yesterday to one of my son's friend's weddings. You know, this is the stage that they're in now. His friends are getting married and settling into their careers and starting families. You know, my son will be forever 22 years old. His dad, Roger Franco, wants to be able to wake up without wondering when his son's case will be resolved. We want a fair trial. The evidence is there. I just want him to be convicted of what he has done. He took our son from us. I think the evidence is there. I know the evidence is there. We just want justice, we want a fair trial. That's what we want. Before I posted this podcast, I had exchanged several messages with a woman who identified herself as Moises Galvan's mother. She was insistent that I tell both sides of the story. I told her I was including her son's statement to police that he was acting in self-defense, that he felt threatened because he and RJ Franco had fought in the past even before they encountered each other in the bar that night. And I told her I was also focusing on the delay in the case, which affects everyone involved, including her son, who's been behind bars for five years. 
In the back and forth, I repeatedly asked her to sit down with me and talk about what she thought I was leaving out. She never responded to my invitations. ABC7's Borderland Crimes is a podcast researched, written, and edited by me, Stephanie Valle. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your preferred listening platform. A new episode is coming soon. 